Contracting for the Climate, Greenwashing Claims. Welcome to Construction and the Climate. This is a podcast series from 39 Essex Chambers with me, Camilla Tahar and Ruth Keating. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the big climate issues affecting the construction sector. Camilla, we've had several guests on the podcast the past few weeks, but a topic we've been discussing ourselves is greenwashing and its potential impact for the construction sector. So Camilla, to start us off, what is greenwashing? Well, there's not one definitive definition of greenwashing, but a helpful one is from the Climate Social Science Network, which describes it as the use of unsubstantiated or misleading claims regarding an actor's environmental performance. There's also climate washing, which is related and involves misleading or overstating performance in relation to climate change. And this might include issues that go beyond the natural environment. Greenwashing claims can be made in really any type of public messaging. So it's fairly wide, for example, in advertising, sponsorship, social media or investor documentation. And I think the flip side of that, Camilla, in a way, is almost these green hushing claims we hear about, where companies are increasingly choosing not to publicise the details of their climate targets, no doubt probably in an attempt to avoid some of the criticisms you've just provided there or to avoid scrutiny and allegations of greenwashing. And on that, I did see a recent stat by the FT where they said that a quarter of the 1,200 companies that they had polled in 12 countries said for that very reason they wouldn't be publishing their targets. So on the greenwashing claims, Camilla, what do those claims look like in practice? Well, misleading information might be in relation to corporate commitments, product and attributes or disclosure of climate investments, financial risks or harms caused by a business. Types of claims that might be deemed to be misleading might be exaggerated or imprecise claims, as well as those made intentionally to mislead. They also might be claims involving the selective disclosure of of environmental performance. And it's really become part of the mainstream consciousness, particularly since COP26, when the UN Secretary General announced a new high-level expert group to establish clear standards to measure and analyse net zero commitments from non-state actors. And in that sense, Camilla, when you say the mainstream consciousness, I think we can see the ecosystem where these kinds of claims are arising. So on the one hand, we see businesses, companies, no doubt increasingly construction companies, facing huge pressure from all sides. So clients, consumers, buyers, governments, investors, to make commitments in relation to sustainability and climate change. So they have that clear pressure and they also have that clear commercial incentive to appear climate conscious. But of course, that's balanced on the other side, that sometimes this urgent desire to talk might mean that these words come before actions. That's absolutely right. There's an enormous pressure to reach net zero emission by 2050. It's immense. But the gap between the pledges people are making, the marketing in relation to those pledges, and sadly, the reality of the reductions is often very wide. There's also often a gap between the pledges that are made and... Paris aligned goals. And we can see that in 2020, the Competition and Markets Authority discovered that 40% of green claims made online from companies could be misleading. So it's a huge proportion of claims being made. I think even though that figure is huge, it's probably not surprising, sadly. And it's probably reflective of, you know, some of the examples we've seen. So Camilla, I know one of the examples we spoke about was that last October, the Advertising Standards Authority handed down its reading on HSBC. So Some of our listeners might recall these ads, Camilla. I don't know if you remember seeing them, but essentially it was two posters and they were on bus stops in Bristol and London around October 2021. So the first poster 
appreciating that this is always difficult to do in a podcast, but I'll describe it, is the first poster featured an aerial image of waves crashing on a shore. So you had that kind of natural world background. And then you had the text that was provided by HSBC, which said climate change doesn't do borders, neither do rising sea levels. That's why HSBC is aiming to provide up to $1 trillion in financing and investment globally to help our clients transition to net zero. So that's the first ad. We have that kind of natural world image and we have that statement going with it. And a similar poster, a second one, and this shows the kind of tree growth rings that you'll see when you cut open a tree. And it had this text overlaid on it and said, climate change doesn't do borders. So in the UK, we're helping to plant 2 million trees, which lock in 1.2 million tonnes of carbon over their lifetime. So I think when we think about those ads, they're the kind of ads that we can see lots of companies, I think, putting forward. And so the ASA ruling, I think, is of real interest. So the first one that listeners should be aware of in terms of why it's an important decision is whereas lots of the ASA rulings concern consumer products, this was about financial sector marketing. So in some ways, it signals there are other industries that are going to be looked at. And three points of reasoning from the decision, I think, have pretty wide applicability. So the first one was the ASA said consumers will understand the claims made by HSBC to mean that HSBC was making and intended to make a positive overall environmental contribution as a company. Now, on that point, I don't know if everyone, if they were in the marketing department, necessarily think the claim that they were making was as broad as making a positive contribution. But certainly that's how the ASA interpreted those ads. The second one is that they said that consumers will understand that HSBC were undertaking an environmentally beneficial activity by planting trees, which would make a meaningful contribution towards greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. And again, I think that's an interesting point because it's not enough to say that you are making some positive contribution. There's a sense here that if you're putting on ads like this, the understanding is that you're making an overall positive contribution. And the final point, and this again is really important from a marketing perspective, ASA says, that its conclusions were strengthened by the use of imagery from the natural world. So they said in particular, those crashing waves, which we described at the start, and also no doubt the rings on the trees. So I think all of those things show an obvious relevance to the construction sector. We have a complicated industry like the financial sector. We have imagery being used from the natural world and we have claims being made, which when the ASA looked into it, seemed like they couldn't be substantiated. You're right, it does show relevance for the construction sector. And importantly, this decision sits as part of a global trend. As our listeners will be well aware by now, greenwashing and climate washing litigation is part of the wider movement of strategic climate litigation. And often in this litigation, claimants might seek financial damages. They might seek injunctive relief in relation to the harm done by these misleading communications. And they might aim to hold actors to account for their misleading statements in relation to their actions or their products in relation to their contribution to climate change. We'll see claimants increasingly using existing consumer protection laws. They might look at claims surrounding fraud or misrepresentation or civil or commercial legislation. There's really a kind of wide variety of legislation and laws that claimants could use. And it's often with the aim of increasing consumer awareness. It's often really driven by that. And in April 2021, Client Earth launched the Greenwashing Files campaign in order to expose companies that greenwash. And Mela, looking at those, do you think there are any kind of trends we can see from the broad types of claims that are already being brought? Yeah, there are three types of climate washing claim that broadly that we can see being brought. There are those that challenge commitments made and the commitments made either by corporate bodies or by governments. There might be climate washing claims in relation to descriptions used in relation to product 
attributes. And that's obviously really relevant for our construction sector clients when looking at the products that they're using. And then there are climate washing claims in relation to the challenging of disclosure of investments in financial information, financial risks, harm caused. I think it's interesting, Camilla, when you look at those three types of broad claims you've talked about, I don't think those are claims that are necessarily limited to certain industries. They obviously have a very broad and wider legal relevance. And so I think you start to see a trend where claims can rely on laws and regulations, prohibiting false advertising to protect consumers, or they could be misrep claims or contractual claims. And so I think we're starting to see quite a broad church there in terms of the different ways this could impact different clients. There are some other examples we've discussed between ourselves. I mean, you've brought up the HSBC example. Another example of a recent matter included the ASA's ruling on Ryanair Limited. And this followed an advertising campaign in which Ryanair had claimed to be the lowest emission airline in Europe. But when the ASA looked at this, they found that consumers wouldn't have sufficient information in the advertisements to substantiate the claims. And they also noted that there were some well-known competitors were absent from Ryanair's calculations. So their claims were seen to be misleading. You've really got to be very careful in what information that you put out there. Another example is in relation to Shell. And Shell were found to have misled consumers in an advertisement, which didn't make clear that the carbon offsetting discussed in an advertisement was only available to consumers who signed up to the Shell Go loyalty scheme. I suppose the big question from all of that, Camilla, is we obviously have the Shell example. We have the example of Ryanair and obviously the example of HSBC. I suppose our listeners are going to be wondering what's the relevance for the construction sector. And I think the construction sector is at a very difficult intersection of all of these issues because on the one hand, there's huge pressure to build green and that's coming from all sides that we discussed. It's going to come from policymakers, buyers, funders, tenants, everyone else. And at the same time, the demand for building and energy and buildings has doubled since 2015. So we're seeing a huge amount of demand for buildings. And then on the other hand, we're also seeing this increased pressure. And when I think about it, I try to think about what are the areas where construction sector clients are going to be the most vulnerable. It's going to be on claims around reducing energy demand, I think. The use of renewable energy and zero carbon heating. And one of the most important issues is going to be tackling embodied carbon in building materials and also produced as a result of the construction process itself. So what I think our clients need to be very aware of is if you are going to make these claims, you need to think about how you're going to substantiate them and how you're going to demonstrate the veracity. And in some cases, that could be quite difficult to prove depending on you know the complex challenges that arise from a whole supply chain around the construction industry. But on the same analysis, I think, as a whole industry, everyone needs to be very open in terms of sharing best practices because this is an area which is uncharted for many people, but it's only going to become more relevant, I think, in the years to come. Just picking up on your point about the complex challenges inherent in the supply chain, just thinking about the kinds of claims that might be made in relation to construction professionals and where potential problems might arise. Well, there might be claims in relation to the specification of materials, you know, that products and materials used in construction might meet on paper the relevant codes, but they might in fact be produced by processes that aren't sound. Really got to dig deep into, go back into the supply chain. Also, there are claims that a product has a positive environmental impact, which doesn't stand up to scrutiny, might mean a claim by a consumer for breaches of the Competition and Markets Authority Green Claims Code. 
for the sort of energy consultants, maybe the engineers and the architects, when they are modelling energy predictions, to think quite carefully as they may run risks if, in fact, the lower energy usage doesn't occur in reality. So it requires quite a lot of forward thinking when making claims. Related to that, Camilla, the forward thinking makes me think of two other points. One, of course, is the difficulty that there can be hidden environmental costs of technology, that there are very few people that are, are very proficient at assessing. So, for instance, you might have smart technology which promises energy efficiency, but actually there's a carbon cost behind that that no one has really thought about. Or related to that, I suppose, the financial risks caused by climate change. I think that's going to be really relevant to the construction industry. So, you know, you could face a claim for a failure to have complete financial disclosure or complete climate-related risks, and that's going to have an impact on investors, tenants and insurers. And increasingly, those kind of claims as well, I think, are going to be really relevant to the construction sector. Camilla, those who listen to our podcast will know that we have a nasty habit at the end of asking everyone who comes on as a guest what are their top tips for the construction sector clients? So I'm going to flip that on you, Camilla, and ask if you have any tips for our construction sector clients. So a first tip would be to implement green, sustainable practices within construction. So I would encourage our construction sector clients to think about design and its sustainability, energy efficiency, waste reduction, indoor air quality and materials. Also encourage our construction sector clients and those who advise them to follow the standards and guidance this sounds very straightforward, but it's something that can be done. So looking at the Future Home Standard, Building Regulations Part L, Net Zero 2050 and the SAP 10 regulations. I think they're really good points, Camilla. And I think two related to that from me would be the first is to start trying to understand your supply chain now. That is actually, as we know in the construction sector with the number of subcontractors and the different methods and materials, a really time consuming and complex task. And so in, in due course, when people are asked to do due diligence and verify certain claims, they'll have some means of doing that and they'll already have done some of the work because otherwise that is going to be a huge task to have to answer if it's under time pressure. And the second point I would say is upskilling your workforce. So there are lots of different angles that this topic comes from. We have the idea of subcontractors, due diligence, general construction professionals. You know, and we also have the idea that people need to not overclaim what actions their company are taking. But all of those things take new skills and there are new skills that a lot of people don't have in the sector yet because they haven't had to. So I think starting to put in the time now to really upskill your workforce is going to ensure and protect people in the future against these kinds of claims. On top of that, I'd just like to add that walk the walk, but also just as this is a greenwashing podcast, go back to really looking at the words you're using and say that it's really important for the advertisements or any documentation you're putting out there to be reviewed with your legal teams and and if you have them, your marketing and scientific teams. As our listeners will be well aware, some construction companies may well be SMEs. They don't have these huge teams of advisors. So it's really just looking at the words you're using. Look at what you're saying about climate pledges, about a company's negative impact on the climate in order to avoid publishing potentially misleading information. And the other thing I would say is that really when using any language that is public facing, try to understand the meaning of the words you use. And it's sometimes a little bit more complex than it first appears. When you use language such as eco or sustainable or regenerative, explain what you mean, understand what you're saying and understand the different logos that are used. You know, do you understand what certification you're using and you're putting out there to the public? And I think all that is to say as well, Camilla, that there's going to be a lot of learning that needs to be done. And so this is by no means the end of the conversation. It's a bit of a start, but I think it does show the relevance of all of these greenwashing claims 
to the construction sector and the kind of work that's going to have to be done in the future. So thank you, Camilla, and thanks everyone else for listening as well. At 13 on Essex Chambers, we cover a vast array of practice areas and sectors. You can find out more about our expertise and our barristers at 39essex.com, where you can also see our extensive catalogue of articles, podcasts and webinars. Thank you.